You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. Today's business at hand is the business that focuses on elite tennis athletes, uh, recreational tennis athletes, as well as what it takes to establish a high-level training program and a tennis academy for teaching not just tennis, but life skills. Uh, So I'm pleased to have as my guest today someone who is regarded as the face of tennis in the South, a coach and tennis director, Gary Groleman. Gary, thanks for taking the time to be on the Business Hour. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Well, Gary, uh, I just want to take a moment to say that, that that you have taught more nationally ranked tennis players than any other coach in the South, which includes uh, 12 NC and correct me or update me, 12 NCAA All-Americans, five NCAA national champions, two junior national champions, and as a player, you were ranked number six in the United States in the boys' 18 and under category. You played number four singles, number two doubles on an NCAA championship team while you were at Stanford University. And you were ranked number 45 in the men's national rankings. You also served as the tennis coach at Georgia Tech from 1983 to 1988, and you were the ACC Coach of the Year in 1985. Those are some really strong credentials. And, and, and that's your past. That's going back years and years. Today, moving forward, uh, you have been certified uh, by the United States Professional Tennis Association as many of your instructors at um, the Sandy Springs Tennis Center and Tennis Academy of the South. And uh, let's take a moment. Uh, We're just laying a foundation here of you being surrounded by qualified uh, tennis professionals uh, and, and kind of as a base all of them are U.S. PTA um, certified. Uh, tell us what that means. Um, the certification is mainly a model for teaching young pros how to teach. We do that ourselves at Sandy Springs. So in a certain degree, after teaching for as many years as I've taught, I spend my time rather than them going to the USPTA, training them myself in what we do, and with you know the web and YouTube videos and things like that, it's a lot easier to train people rather than having to go all over the United States to seminars, but it's a great organization and it has a really strong insurance for tennis pros. Yeah, I'm sure that it's um, uh, a good foundation for them, and also you mentioned the insurance, uh, that's you know just one of those things that uh, uh, people often overlook, uh, but that is really crucial. It's crucial. Injuries occurred uh, along the way. Um, You mentioned that you, uh, in essence, trained the trainers, and I'm certain there's a a Gary Groleman philosophy, uh, and there may be some specific uh, techniques that you impart. How would you... uh, how would you characterize the Gary Groen method that you want the instructors to also have in their uh, teaching uh, range? I think the most important thing is 
being able to relate to the people. Um, no matter how strong your teaching is, if you don't have the personal skills, the people skills, it's hard. So I start with people skills, and then I work with just the basic teaching methods that are congruent that nobody would disagree with. And then I actually ask them what they think about their own teaching methods and how they could become better. So I listen to them. I'm really trying to listen to young people and not just speak to them, but have them speak to me as well. I learn a lot from them. I learn a lot from the people I teach. Yeah, I'm sure that's appreciated, actually. Mm -hmm. They can uh, tell when a person is listening and interested. uh, I'm interested in them. Yeah, interested in them. Um, I think that uh, I even read somewhere about John Wooden as much as he had to share as a coach, he listened uh, to uh, his players to want to uh, uh, be able to relate to them um, and to help them. And I don't know if you uh, take this uh, conscious approach uh, the way that he did with his pyramid uh, uh, of development, but uh, I know that you want to help these people develop as, as people and not just players as well. Is that right? That's exactly right. Um, I feel like what they do, I'm sending them out. What I'm really training them to do is for future job opportunities. We've been very blessed. We have uh, 17 pros that work with me, and 11 of them have worked with me for over 10 years. And the average tennis pro lasts six months at a tennis facility, but we have people that have worked 10 plus years, including one of my sons, Jeff. So that, that's a real tribute to you. Well, it's it's a tribute possibly, but it makes life a lot easier. Oh, yeah. Not oh, having to rehire people. And I try to make situations a win-win. If it's not good for the staff, then it's ultimately not going to be good for me. So, You know, turnover is still one of the absolutely biggest problems around uh, the country in terms of employing uh, qualified uh, people. Um, and in a sport where there are um, youngish um, athletes uh, who are coaches, um, I would imagine that the potential for turnover is, is really great. So the fact that you can hold on to your people uh, puts the whole program ahead of the game. And it makes it a lot easier for, for me. I bet that's an understatement. <laughs> it's an, it is an understatement, yeah. Um, how would you, uh, you... You have uh, various programs uh, at the, the tennis center. Um, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the programs and, 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 and the age range is quite broad. You, you work with some really young kids. How, how young do uh, kids start? Well, I was never that involved with youth tennis, which is 10 under tennis, but with 10 grandchildren and six of them playing tennis, I had to become involved. So we have a very rigorous, fun, really based upon fun and instruction program for 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and those are the future, future of tennis. So it's a great program that we run year-round for the kids. So we have kids just starting out, and we have nationally ranked juniors. And as I mentioned when we were talking earlier, we have a gentleman who's over 70, plays national tournaments on a year-round basis. Now, you have actually formalized programs uh, for those uh, different uh, age ranges. And also... The USTA, the United States Tennis Association, has various levels, and you're, you're evaluated uh, for your skill set to be put into uh, 
a you know 3.0, 4.0, 4.5, 5.0 level, and you actually help people. Uh, I, I would assume that you do some of those uh, uh, evaluations to help people determine their level, and then you help them systematically with specific skill sets move up in those categories. Is that right? That's exactly what we do, and it really depends upon the individual. Whenever I work with an adult, I ask them initially, would you like me to work with you as you are, or would you like me to help you do it right? And it really depends upon the interest level because there's a lot of players that hit three or four days a week that are really never going to change their strokes but we can improve their shot selection, their movement, you know, flowing with the ball, that so type it's of thing. technique and strategy and then the, <clears throat> the psychology of the game, I think that probably comes as part as you're imparting those other specific uh, skills. If someone comes to you and says, <clears throat> Gary, could I just work on my serve? Is that something that, that you might be able to help them with? Exactly. We do whatever the individual is really interested in. However, while they're there, I'll say, well, show me your forehand. Show me this. Or are there any other issues they're dealing with? And a lot of times there's issues that are greater than them asking about their serve. So it's a matter of developing a personal relationship with them and encouraging them. Um, my mom started when she was 50 and was an A player by the time she was 63. And she took lessons from my brother-in-law played four days a week with one of those big prince rackets from years ago and just really enjoyed the game so we try to create passion for people at any age and we have over 45 men who are over 70 years of age that play three times a week on our clay courts so you know i have uh, said to people many times uh, you know I, i'll get asked why I, I play the game myself and uh, i was a late starter i you know, I'd been a uh, high school swimmer and football player, and I played uh, football college. And I uh, didn't, uh, when I arrived in Atlanta uh, in the late 70s, I, you know, I, I swam and I ran and I did a little lifting and I played basketball. But tennis wasn't on, on the horizon. Um, I would go out to the courts, and you know the club where I belong at the Athletic Club Northeast, the old, you told me. The old sporting club. Um, there was a game going on. Uh, it was a couple of 42-year-olds. It was like one Georgia Tech professor uh, and one uh, FBI agent, both about in their early 40s, great athletes, good AA, uh, according to the Atlanta Lawn Tennis Association rankings, great AA players. And they were playing against these two old guys. And I, 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 I was watching our guys run all around the court. They looked like the Bryant brothers. Uh, or, or, or and maybe the Bryant brothers don't didn't even have to move around because they were better at the same thing that the old guys were good at, which is being in position, anticipating, being highly consistent. And the, the old guys who were in their 70s were running around the, the, the guys in their 40s and, and went on to win that match. And I, I, I again, I, I just walked out to that end of the club wasn't a tennis player yet and and you know a small crowd had gathered and i said who are those two old guys and he said uh we think one of them is bitsy grant the other one's bobby dodd they're they're infamous and they laid a whooping on our guys or you know maybe thinking <coughs> but they, they went in there and i run, went away thinking boy um uh, even when i play tennis i'm going to play like an old guy well, um, Bobby Dodd always played tennis 
he would hit the ball between his legs. He wouldn't use regular strokes, but he was a fabulous athlete. And then, of course, Bitsy Grant was a world-class top 10 player in the world. So there are plenty of people that um, have a lot of experience, and an older player knows how to run and make a younger player look bad. Exactly. I mean, that's really what I saw was, look at those guys. I, I, I learned later that they, I think they probably instinctively learned to move uh, the flow of the ball. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and they were highly consistent and must have had extremely good eye-hand coordination. Uh, in the case of uh, Bitsy Grant, he would have had, his strokes would have been grooved over thousands of years or thousands of years, thousands of strokes. And uh, and anyway, I, I, it was just a lesson kind of in, like in golf, you have uh, course management, this was court management and it, and it left a, a mark. And so when I began to play, I I, I tried to play consistent from, from day one and had a few lessons along the way. Speaking of which, I had, uh, I, I mentioned to you, I had, had a serving lesson from Roscoe Tanner, mm-hmm. one of your old teammates. That's right. Um, the, what was it like, um, and I was going to save this until later, but we can segue there. What was it like to play with some really quality players uh, uh, when you were at Stanford? And it was... It was at a period where uh, the team was really good. Um, it was a lot of fun. I grew up with these people. Roscoe Tanner and I were roommates my first year at Stanford. We were in the same fraternity. Um, just did a lot of things together. So it wasn't like um, being with you know Le- LeBron James or some superstar. It was just Ros- Roscoe, my friend, and uh, Sandy Mayer and some others that were just great tennis players. They left Stanford early to go on the pro tour. And um, did well. Really yeah, well. I, 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 uh, I, I'd say so. Uh, you're right. He wasn't a LeBron, but he was a solid. His uh, top five. Yeah, solid player. tennis pro. Um, we're here with Gary Groleman. We're going to be taking a break. We're going to come back and talk to uh, Gary about uh, tennis, uh, teaching tennis, the state of tennis, uh, and other tennis-related matters right up to this break. Want to give your family, our loved one, the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. In 2009, the membership organization Docs for Patient Care was founded. 
people all around the country wanted to participate in the efforts of this group and they wanted to join but they were unable to do so unless they were physicians. It's for this reason that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation was created. Now everyone can join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. While you're at your computer, please go to www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docs4patientcarefoundation.org and make a tax-deductible donation and join the fight along with us. Thank you. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Gary Groleman. Uh, in our promo for the program, we um, and in the introduction, we talked about Gary being one of the faces of tennis, uh, uh, actually nationally, but certainly here in the South, and uh, another uh, nationally recognized uh, instructor uh, would be Nick Bolletieri, and, 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 and Gary mentioned something about uh, one point in time when he had uh, up to 22 of the top 50 junior players? Across all age groups, 12 to 18, okay. boys boys and girls. I mean, that is um, in the category of Nick Bolletieri without maybe the recognition, but that's, that's incredible. Well, we had a facility which was owned by Lamar Hunt. It was called Peachtree World of Tennis. It's now Lifetime. We had uh, we had eight courts that juniors could kick adults off of. We had eight indoor courts. We had clay as well as hard. So we had a facility where kids could come and really train at a high level. And they were all club members. They weren't people that moved from other cities to live there. But we actually had five or six members who would fly in on weekends to take lessons and train with the kids because they didn't have people to uh, train with. One was Al Parker, who's uh, from South Georgia. You know, some of these programs have uh, kind of the residential or housing component, and and uh, neither the Sandy Springs Tennis Club or Tennis Center or the uh, Racket Club of the South is it? What had it become the Racket Club of the South? It became that, and now it's Lifetime. It's okay. it's uh, the um, the thing about uh, Atlanta, and and again, I was going to bring this up later, but let's talk about it now. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how we came to have 80,000-plus registered tennis members of the Atlanta Lawn Tennis Association, plus K-Swiss, plus USTA, plus miscellaneous other other leagues. Uh, But if you get down to it, people like you would have sort of influenced uh, the population of tennis players. What do you uh, account for... The early years of uh, ALTA, the Atlanta Lawn Tennis Association, growing to be the world's largest participatory sporting league, not soccer in Brazil Mm -hmm. or some other sport in China where the the population is ginormous uh, as well. 
for tennis in Atlanta. How do you, how do you account for that? Um, basically, subdivisions. In the late 60s, early 70s, um, Frank Spratlin's father, I don't remember Mr. Spratlin's name, was building subdivisions, and he was struggling. So he tried to add value to um, subdivisions, so he put in two tennis courts and a swimming pool. Alta started in, I think, 1972. Charlie Cox, whose son took lessons with us, Bud, uh, his father started it, and they were able to grow exponentially with subdivisions. So, as you know now, there's places like Medlock Bridge that have 12 to 18 courts in a subdivision. So that's allowed the tennis to grow, where in the past that would never have taken place. Yeah, we, we must have, uh, or must have and must now lead the, the world, not just the country, the world in uh, non-country club-like subdivisions that have swim and tennis Exactly, components. that's right. And you only need two courts uh, to have uh, uh, an Alta League team. That's right. And so I had never stopped to think about that, but uh, that plus the kinds of things you did, I mean, I would imagine that uh, when you were coaching Georgia Tech, you would have uh, uh, spun future uh, instructors, coaches, and I, I've also thought that, uh, and I wonder what you think about this uh, theory, Atlanta's got one of the largest uh, population of uh, ACC, the Atlanta, uh, uh, the Atlantic um, Coast, a- athletic, uh, Atlantic Athletic Coast Conference, and the uh, SEC, the Southeast uh, Athletic uh, Conference, uh, so that from Auburn and Tennessee and Kentucky and North Carolina, uh, and not to mention Georgia and Georgia Tech, you you, you have the largest some alumni associations for all those schools outside of those states, and because it's the mecca of the South, and along with that would have been tennis players, uh, so that you had this high level of uh, alumni, uh, former tennis players, right. friends visiting them on weekends, the way people do when they move to a city. That's right. And it would have grown in that way, too. It does. And, again, Atlanta is a wonderful place to bring business to. As Mercedes-Benz has brought their U.S. headquarters down the street from our tennis center. So it's really brought a real love of the game to the city. Have you struck up any kind of relationship with Mercedes-Benz just yet? We have a number of people that play from there, but we don't have any official contact with them. They um, use most of their promotional money with the um, with the USTA and the US Open. So it's been difficult to uh, break into that situation with them, but we're just down the street. Yeah, I could imagine something like a mm-hmm. veterans uh, tournament uh, or uh, something that they would help to sponsor this, you know, kind of. We'd like that. Engage them. Uh, now, um, let's talk about um, recreational players versus uh, elite uh, um, athletes. I would imagine there are people who come to you that are absolute beginners, and that's probably. uh, something that uh, you like because I would imagine your, your instructors as, as well as you like that blank canvas. You know, no bad habits really um, to undo. Um, but along the way, uh, as well as elite athletes coming and saying, hey, I know about you and I know about the, the Tennis Academy program. Um, I would like to uh, get better uh, and I have um, maybe aspirations to, to play in college or, or beyond. And then there are people that you bring up through the program that you recognize are really good. 
Um, tell me about um, a commitment to the recreational player that would never become a, an elite uh, competitor, but also how the Tennis Academy of the South um, focuses on elite uh, players. Basically, we enjoy any ability level as long as they have the passion. We have people who are in their mid-40s or 50s just starting to play. And uh, one of them is a close friend named Morris Bradshaw. Morris is close to 70. He's retired. And he just started playing uh, since he was he was playing at 18 but hadn't played till recently. And he is nationally ranked now. He's number 474 in the United States, and I think he's 19 in the South. So that's a perfect example of someone later in life enjoying the game. But um, it's just passion. You have people that just... Um, Parents call us and they say, "My, you've got to teach my four-year-old. He's driving us crazy. He's hitting against the garage door every day with a tennis racket. And we, he's going, driving us crazy. You've got to teach him. So we do. Yeah, and that's right. It's just, student is it is the perfect is. student. But it's just the passion. You can see it in people's eyes. And whether a pro's working with a beginner or a nationally ranked junior, that's really where it's at. Because we work with a lot of highly ranked players that only play because... Uh, they like to win or their parents want them to play or it's what they've done all their life. But some of them don't have the real passion that some of the beginners do. So it's a joy to work with different ability levels for that reason, for this, for the sanity of the tennis pro, actually. Sure, sure. Yeah. It's uh, going to work and having some diversity on Exactly. within the job to perform. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not the same old, same old every day. Um, a- again, you know, uh, I, I want to go off on a kind of a related tangent here to what you just said. Um, there are a lot of fundamentals to any sport. Um, I personally believe that uh, keeping your eye on the ball, literally keeping your eye on the ball, is, is one big one that applies to almost everything. And that has to do with with focus, and it literally and figuratively. Um but with little kids, you see them. Topspin is like a big deal. What are what What do you consider to be some of the fundamentals for a, a beginner, uh, really young, or of any age? Well, it's basically grips and then preparation, body position relative to the ball, and then we use a straight back technique for little young children but then we go to a cursive C and a stroke for more advanced players but it's just incremental development and of course as you know we play in short courts with light fuzzy balls and um, the kids really can enjoy it. When our boys grew up they played with regular tennis rackets at 8 years old, regular tennis balls on a regular court and it's difficult it's, it's hard to learn the sport because there's so many different shots. It's like you know, you've got topspin, you've got slice, you've got volleys, you've got serves, return of serve. There's a lot to learn. So a lot of people didn't really get into the game because it was so difficult to learn it, where the USTA has made it a lot easier for kids to get started quickly. You know, you mentioned uh, 
straight back and and, and, a, and the formula C for listeners out there who have never played the game, you know, straight back would be just taking your racket, moving it straight back, and coming through straight on, on the ball. Correct. The yeah. C would be to like form a C mm-hmm. and come through, which uh, allows you to take the racket uh, in a circular motion and come back low to high and hit with a little bit of topspin. You also get racket head. You get rhythm and racket head speed. Yes, rhythm and racket head speed. Um, but that is one of the things that helps someone become more consistent. And um, I don't know. I'm not an instructor, but I have always thought that if a, per, if a young person or a beginner of any age uh, could incorporate a little bit of topspin, it's so much more forgiving because the ball curves over the net, and you're not hitting it out of you know out of the court. And uh, uh, you, if you can keep it in play. That's going to bring you along uh, because you're not going to lose interest because you're keeping it in play. In play, yeah. sure. Um, so um, I see these young kids hitting very pronounced uh, top spin. It also then allows you to start to hit out, uh, to hit with some power. Uh, and um, uh, it's quite amazing that so many of these really small players can uh, hit with uh, such incredible power. We're going to be taking a break. When we come back, we'll talk more. Uh, we'll, we may touch on some techniques, but we're going to talk more about uh, the Gary Groleman philosophy of tennis and about uh, his background. Um, we're here with Gary Groleman, coach, uh, tennis program director, uh, ambassador for tennis. Uh, we'll be back with Gary right after this break. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And today I have the pleasure of having Gary Groleman, who is a very recognized tennis coach, tennis uh, program director, um, founder of the Tennis Academy of the South, uh, and uh, currently... uh, Gary takes a very hands-on approach to the, um, the management of the uh, Sandy Springs Tennis Center, which is in North Metro Atlanta. We've been talking about how it's an environment 
that is is a, on one hand blessed to be in uh, the epicenter of tennis within a city that is the epicenter of tennis, I think, uh, within the South and consequently in, in, in the nation. I mean, Cincinnati and Houston are probably outside of California and Florida and, and a few other um, metro areas, uh, states and metro areas. You know, Atlanta is definitely on the map um, so that you have this uh, large number of people that in essence fuel the program do you find that you know you're not having to do a lot of recruitment that people are just knowing to people people are eager to play young couples marry they start to have children they join a swim and tennis club the kids are invited to play tennis and then they start coming to us so we have that and we also have a lot of um you know, 20 to 30-somethings moving to Atlanta for business reasons and playing in league play. We were in a weekly round-robin at Sandy Springs that averages 40-plus people every week. I mean, in January, we'll have 40 people. We'd have 40 people tonight if it wasn't so cold outside. But basically, it's a great way to meet people. It's a great way to socialize. Uh, There's been two marriages at the round-robins at Sandy Springs, couples meeting at a round-robin and end up marrying each other. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there are even more that maybe you weren't even aware of just because I know from my experience at the club where I belong that there have been at least a dozen uh, marriages that resulted uh, from people meeting each other uh, on the tennis courts. Uh, You're right. It's a great social activity, Uh, perhaps... One of the absolute best, if not the best, in that you really can socialize in the swimming pool. You don't socialize as much on the soccer field. You can meet people playing basketball, baseball, football, but uh, you don't have as much mixed uh, competition. That's right. And uh, I, I, I know that... Um, uh, those times in between playing the matches, you know, when you're taking a break, uh, you get a chance to converse. And uh, so I have suggested on many occasions that if you wanted to meet people, take up tennis and go to a program where you can... Come to our round robin on Friday evenings. It's year-round. It is, again, a great way to meet people. The round robin at the Sandy Springs Tennis Center here in Sandy Springs, which is just uh, outside the uh, perimeter uh, on Abernathy, um, is, a, is, a, is a great place to uh, go and, and learn the game and then to, to socialize as well. Uh, don't mean to make a commercial uh, for the Tennis Center, but, uh, but I did um, because I think it's a really good program. Uh, we, we talked about young people. Uh, and also, uh, I think that tennis is uh, one of the very few games for life, one of the very few sports uh, that you can play. Um, I'm in my late 60s, and I'm not going to say um, how old you are. Uh, it's a state of mind in, 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 in a sense, except when you rack up those injuries. Um, but uh, you mentioned uh, Moritz. Uh, Bradshaw. Bradshaw, you know, uh, there must be many 40, 50, and 60-somethings that are picking up the game for the first time. And and then if you think of children that have, have uh, played the game from an early age, it just happens to be a game where you can have real competition the rest of your life. Especially in Atlanta with ALTA because you've got former college greats who play in AA. 
teams. There's men's doubles, women's doubles, and mixed. So I see people that I coached 10, 15 years ago on weekends playing league play at Sandy Springs. And, and you know, the beauty also is that um, uh, you can play golf with your grandchildren, and that's, you know, that's fun. There are a few uh, grandparent-grandchild competitions against other grandparent-grandchild. But but formally and informally, with tennis, you can get out with uh, one of your ten grandchildren. And if you haven't already, I mean, you know, the, the, the possibilities are, are, are endless. Um, and uh, as they develop and get better and better, uh, there are other players that you can have pickup games against in various cities from country clubs to swimming tennis clubs to tennis centers like your own. And uh, it's it's you and your grandchild against uh, maybe two high school, former high school uh, players that are pretty good, that are in their 20s, that thinking are thinking, eh, it's that old guy and that young kid. And... Uh, and the beauty of it is that you can lay a whooping on on other players, and that's one thing I really love. Is because as an older guy, you know, it, it keeps me young to be able to uh, uh, play and uh, win against uh, twenty and thirty somethings. Doesn't often happen because the twenty or thirty somethings in the league, if they played high school tennis or particularly college tennis, they're in a different uh, league or at least level of play. But in terms of the general population. It's one of the few sports where you can get out on the courts with these other people of various levels, various ages. And as I mentioned, uh, I, I don't know if you played with any of your grandkids, but... Uh, I play with them all the time. In fact, we even bunt tennis balls in the... Um, they both live in cul-de-sacs. So we put up mini nets, and we just bunt the ball. I mean, four-year-olds. Um, we have a four-year-old who hit 102 balls with his dad one day, just bunting the ball back and forth. And all you need is that repetition. And what's great about tennis, even if the kids end up hopefully playing other sports too, the hand-eye coordination that you're learning as a four- or five-year-old is tremendous, as well as focus. You were talking about focus earlier. Kids struggle with focus, as any young person would, but it develops a lot of skills really quickly, and it's fun. You know, I always wondered if we could uh, play indoors with a kid with uh, little balloons, and I think I've heard some parents say they did that. It kind of came inadvertently from the kid batting it around with their hand, but then Mm -hmm. realized they could use like a a racquetball racket and teach the kid... uh, to uh, bunt and not destroy too many things in the house uh, with a balloon. Uh, and then you're talking about big fuzzy balls. The Nerf balls. The Nerf balls. Uh, 102 strokes. Uh, that's unbelievable. That kid is learning repetition and discipline of sorts. Oh, totally. Right then. Um, mm-hmm. and, and which brings us to um, the one of the life's uh, one of life's lessons uh, focus on the task at hand um, both literally watching the ball but focusing on what's going on within the game um, and um, discipline overall controlled Del- aggression delayed gratification delayed gratification I mean controlling aggression a kid who's like uh, out of control uh, maybe not overly aggressive to speak of but still uh, has played other sports where there's no real control I'm certain just by virtue of your teaching them specific techniques they're learning control uh, and then deferred gratification wow play the game be in control wait for the moment 
to win the point, to win the game, develop the skills to later on be capable of beating uh, yeah. better players. In this age of technology where there's instant everything, kids are gratified too quickly and they're too much into themselves. So this is a great way to draw them out, develop healthy competition. It doesn't matter who you're playing, where they're from, what they look like, where they go to school, what they've done. It's just competition, and it's great. It teaches the child how to um, stand up for themselves. We have one child who um, really was very, very aggressive and enjoyed competition. We had one that learned how to become competitive and learned how to stand up for himself, and he actually became an NCAA champion in wow. college. Wow. But it took him longer just because he learned the skill of stepping up for himself. Do you... How do you go about consciously um, imparting that to either um, uh, students or to your, uh, your, your coaches, your trainers, your instructors? Um, do you ever say um, directly to the student or to the trainer for them to pass along to the student that, hey, you're going to have to go through this drill, and if you go through this drill, it's going to teach you some skills that will actually allow you to win some games. And does that resonate? Um, it resonates. Um, we do a lot of little tricks like throwing the carrot out there. Um, I'll teasingly say to our staff, and again, I am teasing, but I'll walk by their court and say, if you can get him to hit a kick serve, I'll buy you a red Ferrari. And what I'm getting at is they're not focusing on a kick serve, but it's a fun way of letting the staff know what I'd like to see them focus on without being um, rude. Yeah, and, and you, you've said that fun. It's got to be fun. You got to create passion. Yeah. It, can you imagine playing tennis from age seven to seventeen to get a college scholarship? You're playing five, six days a week from from that age, and people just get burned out. They get tired. Yeah. How, how do you uh, work with some of the elite athletes that are about to uh, 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 begin a college program? Uh, and I don't know if you have many college students who. I, I, come back uh, just because they feel felt good about what you helped them with prior to that period where they were going to be college uh, material, college competitive tennis material, um, but who uh, are in danger of burning out because of years of uh, tennis, and yet now it's about to ratchet up because you and I had a conversation about what a grind the pro tour could be. So how do you help them kind of bridge that gap? Basically by developing other skills. We have one gal who's a fabulous tennis player and she is an A-type personality and plays number one for the University of Alabama. Super, super competitive gal who can play on the world tour and um, really got her painting again, artwork. Taking her artwork with her. And it just is totally relaxing. It's a whole different ballgame. So you try to get people to step out and find some other things that they enjoy. Uh, the Bryan brothers, the dad, use music. They have a band, the dad and the two sure, sons, yeah. and they do things. And whenever they travel, they go see museums. We try to do things that are not tennis-related when we're at tournaments. If we have some time, go see things. Just get these kids to think outside the box because they get to, you know focused on one thing, winning. It's not about the winning. It's really about learning skills, life skills. Yeah, what a great way to uh, focus away from uh, tennis, give yourself a break, um, 
and uh, and also exhibit passion for something else other than the game of, uh, of tennis. Um, do you've um, you, you've worked with a lot of different levels uh, through through the years? Um, are you aware of uh, any of your former students that are now uh, teaching professionals outside of Atlanta? I, mean, um, I would imagine you've fostered legions, but are you aware of some? Um, Kenny Thorne is the men's coach at Georgia Tech. Brian Shelton is the men's coach at Florida. Um, John Des Dunes is a USTA high-performance training coach. Richard Ashby is a USTA high-performance coach. Those are the most notable in the game. They all played at an extremely high level and have stayed with tennis. Yeah, those are the ones that would be on that diagram on TV when you see football coaches and they show you their uh, the influence they had over other coaches. Mm-hmm. But there must have been there. I would imagine there are legions, uh, uh, virtually dozens, of other uh, lesser known uh, instructors that, that that you influence. I mean, I really bet you've put a major mark on you. We have a lot of um, kids call us for references, and um, in the business world, what I try to say to people in a reference is the life skills these people have learned the people you know the people skills learning how to handle cheating on a tennis court how to handle adversity just a myriad of skills that are needed in the business world and you know most kids don't have the people skills anymore that we used to have in our public because of technology so i try to really emphasize that when i'm talking to people for references for them with the people they're applying to those are absolutely um, life skills, and that in this case could be applied to the business environment. Um, let's take a well. Actually, we're going to be taking a break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you that question about uh, how you uh, teach someone to deal with the kind of adversity that might be cheating or other inappropriate behavior on the part of opponents and how you teach uh, your students to rise above it. We're here with Gary Grolman. <clears throat> We've been talking about tennis, teaching tennis, tennis programs, uh, and life skills um, learned uh, along the way. We'll be back with Gary right after this break. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Mike Mizell. I'm a retired Army colonel and president of the Johns Creek Veterans Association. We meet in Newtown Park, and part of one of our projects is the installation of the Healing Wall, the half-scale model of the Vietnam Wall that traveled the United States. Well, it's coming to rest, and it's going to live in Johns Creek forever, the half-scale model. We're looking at a possibly a march implementation ribbon cutting ceremony and we're looking for donors and sponsors that want to help us in this great project you can donate at jcvets.org
Stakes. That's Q-U-I-K Stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Gary Groleman, uh, coach, tennis program director extraordinaire. Uh, Gary has fostered lesions of great tennis players and uh, also other instructors, uh, many. Uh, he mentioned some notable examples. But um, before the break, we were talking about life skills uh, that you learn. And really, all the best coaches these days are imparting life skills, some a little more consciously than others. But we talked about uh, cheating and other inappropriate behavior that you teach your players to deal with, which is a tremendous skill that carries beyond the tennis court to have that, what I would consider poise, uh, to deal with something like that. Tell us about that, Gary. Most young kids um, really get bent out of shape, really end up crying on a match at a young age when someone cheats them. When I spend time with them, we really talk to the kid and the parent about why someone cheats. And when you ask a child, why does somebody cheat, they look at you like they have no idea. And the answer is because the child doesn't believe they can beat you. And when you really talk about that, we develop strategies based upon their personality of how to approach it. What we generally say is, one, you challenge the call and say, hey, you know, I saw the ball good. And you turn around and you walk away. You don't enter into any other conversation. The second time it happens, you say, I'm going to get an umpire. But you don't get into any confrontation with them. That's teaching you how to handle a situation that is not easy, but you stay in line. You don't let the kid get the best of you by you saying, I could have won the match if he hadn't cheated. And we say, um, you never lose a match because somebody cheated you if there's points played after that. And if nothing else, you get them to um, internalize it in such a way that it fuels a competitive spirit. It definitely com- it definitely fuels a competitive spirit when they realize the person doesn't think they can beat them. You know, there were a lot of retrospectives on Kobe Bryant this last, uh, you know, week and a half. Um, I heard one where Kobe was talking about uh, sharing with his uh, teammates to not do the kinds of things to rile up the opponents that would get them to fuel their exactly. competitive spirits, uh, you know, just play uh, in, a, in, in the zone. Um, you, um, you, you played for the legendary coach, uh, Dick Gold. Uh, Dick Gould at, at Stanford. Uh, do you remember any of those uh, either life lessons or, or moments uh, that come to mind? Um, he was very inspirational. He was um, a good man. Um, he really didn't coach us very much. I remember playing USC one day and he we had split sets or something. He patted me on the behind and says, go get him, sunshine. And that was like the extent 
of the coaching. It wasn't a whole lot at that time, but he was a great recruiter. He did a lot for us. He provided a lot of life skills opportunities, introducing us to families in the area. Uh, I met my wife because of him introducing me to a tennis family. So there's a lot Dick Gould did beyond tennis. He was mainly a great recruiter and a great fundraiser, and he coached 19 NCAA championship teams. I've never thought about this before. I just kind of a, a pretty tangential question here. Uh, I guess uh, in towns where you have good college tennis programs, uh, they must influence the the community. And I've got a couple of friends who were uh, in the either Stanford students, Stanford uh, faculty, uh, lived near the campus, uh, and. Uh, like in the community of Mountain View, uh, where there were uh, there was a big tennis program, and, and it, was that whole area was it, it was a hotbed of tennis? Hotbed of tennis, yeah. Cuesta Park is what you're talking about. Mountain, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mountain View, mm-hmm. and we had uh, some of those people that came over to Atlanta, and you know, worked for the went to Stanford, worked for the CDC, played tennis when they were in graduate school, came and played at our club because it was close to Emory, had a lot of CDC people. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small world in tennis. Well, yeah, it seems uh, seems to be um, Georgia Tech. Uh, you coached that team from 1983 to 1988, uh, and you were the coach of the year in 1985. Uh, what was it like uh, to coach in the ACC? Um, it was fun. It was competitive. But one of the main reasons um, I started coaching college players was I thought they were going to be a lot more mature than the children that I coached as juniors, which I found quickly to my dismay that um, they were probably worse than the juniors. And the good thing was you could send the junior home to his parents where you had to live 24-7 with the kids you were coaching on the team. So the competition part was fun, but not dealing with the off-court shenanigans and things you have to deal with. Boys in college are problems off the court. Girls are problems on the court. Daily practice is a drama. Um, I've coached um, uh, young uh, swimmers, uh, boys and girls, and I'll take girls over boys every time because they seem to not... um, uh, be as a, as problematic. I'll just say that they uh, they seem to focus. That's uh, being diplomatic. Better. Um, um, and also, you know, uh, a lot of the the, the boys who were uh, they had the uh, macho syndrome of trying to muscle their way through things, and that doesn't work in the water. And I don't think it works on the court either. No. Uh, so. Um, you have a group of skilled instructors, uh, including uh, your own son, Jeff uh, Grohlman, uh, teaching. Um, uh, did you uh, hand recruit each of your instructors much of the same way a coach might uh, recruit players? Um, that's one of the things. I don't claim the ability. God gave me the ability, but I just have an eye for knowing who wants to be a tennis coach, who is sincerely interested, who has passion. We hire very few people I don't personally know, which obviously helps, but I really don't hire someone if they don't have the passion for the game. You can teach anyone to become a tennis pro. That is not difficult, but the people skills, the passion to want to learn, to want to teach somebody, to teach a beginner. To me, it's a lot of fun. If you can create the passion within them to say, I really want to become 
become good. It's wonderful, but a lot of people don't think that way. So we do have pros that only work with certain ability levels, and I know they don't want to work with some people don't want to work with great players. Some people want to. So we try to be, we have enough pros to be somewhat selective with that. But um, they have to be passionate about the game and just wanting to um, get to know people. You've got to draw people in emotionally when you teach them something. Otherwise, you just don't get them anywhere. You don't get them to come back. It's one thing to um, uh, create passion, and, and I'm certain that that's part of what your instructors do. But in those instructors, if you can get people that arrive with passion and then just cultivate it and reinforce it, you're ahead of the head of the game. Head of the game for sure. Um, you're a very soft-spoken guy in many ways, uh, low key on an even keel. Uh, I don't know if you carry that over. I've never seen you in competition. Um, uh, almost Pete Sampras-like. Um, and uh, so you must be able to uh, sniff out the passion in people that you're talking to that have that same degree of uh, low-key, um, even-keel, uh, soft-spokenness, uh, but, but passion underneath. Um, I've learned a lot from a lot of humility from my two sons. They're as different as night and day. They're both wonderful. We used to think there was a good son and a bad son, and what we found out, there was no good son or bad son. They were just sons. That's right. And they've taught me a lot of humility about how to motivate people. Learning styles is huge. But I'm I'm very um, aggressive in speaking, high energy on the court, but I try not to be off the court because it drives my wife crazy. So I'm learning to slow down. She'll be glad to hear you said that. Well, you know, in terms of passion, and uh, we, we, we talked about... Um, how you don't feel like you uh, are going to work because you just love uh, what you do, which is uh, what we hear uh, now and then. Uh, find something you love to do and you won't have to work uh, the rest of your life. Um, I know uh, you're passionate about what you do uh, and that you've not grown tired about what you do because uh, just... Um, this last week when I approached you, you were sitting inside of the court, above the court, you had instructors on the court, and you shouted out uh, something to uh, one of the uh, students to keep in mind, and I thought, well, that, that's a guy who's really into coaching. Well, I'm saying it to the student, but I make sure the pro hears that. Yeah, it was It's a teaching technique where I don't have to single the pro out and say, you know, you're not doing what you need to do. We got just a few seconds, Gary. Any advice you'd give to someone who is thinking about starting the game? Um, take good stock of what it's going to take to become a good player because there is no quick fix in tennis. There is no easy way. It's a great sport, but it's like learning the piano. It takes time and it takes practice. So you want to recognize that at the outset. Another good uh, instruction or one of life's lessons is it takes time to cultivate. There's no easy way in tennis. I want to thank you for taking the time to be on this program, uh, Gary. Uh, we've been with Gary Groleman, uh, coach, tennis director extraordinaire, and you've been listening to the Business Hour here at America's Radio. We're on from 10 to 11 a.m. Fridays. We'll see you on the Internet and the radio next week. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.